Hey everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life. And what next steps do you want to take to get there? And I am your host, Darren Johnson, and I am so glad that you are here. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, I invite you to do so, so you do not miss an episode. You know, I've been looking forward to this interview and to releasing this episode. Who in your life do you know that stutters? And maybe you do, or maybe you know someone in your family who has this speech impediment. Well, in the fall of 2019, our guest, John Hendrickson, he wrote a groundbreaking story for The Atlantic about Joe Biden's decades-long journey with stuttering, as well as his own. Now, the article, it went viral. In fact, you'll remember this. It reaching readers from around the world and really altered the course of John's life. John is also the author of a brand new book. It is a New York Times bestselling book, Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. And I cracked open this book and I read it from cover to cover. And I'm looking at it right now. I have handwritten notes everywhere. I have post-it notes sticking out of it. It's that good. Now, John has a stutter. It's a fact of his life. And it is an impediment to a lot of the things that we all take for granted every day. What's easy for most of us can be very difficult for John, for others who suffer with a stutter. In fact, I was so excited that John said yes to coming on the podcast, and we do these via Zoom. And in the book, John talks about his dislike for Zoom. As you can imagine, there's a lag, there's technology, there's you never quite know when to step in, when to start talking, stop talking. And so we navigated all that in this interview, and we just had the best time. Now, I asked him at the end of our interview about how he would like for me to handle editing the interview. Just so everyone knows, I edit every podcast episode myself, and I clean it up. I clean up the ums and the ahs, any you know unnecessary things that are there that I should be pulling out. And so there are some pauses in this interview, and I, I don't want to go too far. And I wanted to, though, make sure that I spoke to John about that, just so you know John said, do whatever you think. So what you hear is a slightly cleaned up version, not much. You're going to hear what I heard. In the book, Life on Delay, John talks about bullying and isolation, depression, the family dynamics that went into this, uh, also a lot of childhood discussion, and his career as a journalist, search for love, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. So I think you're going to like this conversation. In fact, I know you will. And I know I felt inspired. And I'm so honored that he spent some time with all of us. So now with that as a setup, I say we get this podcast episode started. Here, everyone, is John Hendrickson. John, welcome to the podcast. It is really good having you here. I, I have to tell you, it's just such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me, Darren. I'm excited to chat with you. Okay, so I've got so many questions for you, John. First off, congratulations on your book. This is a best-selling book, Life on Delay, Making Peace with the Stutter. And I've been looking at your Instagram, which is a lot of fun. You have been doing You've been on the road quite a bit. Where haven't you been? How is the road tour and the book launch? How's that been going for you? It's been a once in a lifetime experience and it's it's been overwhelming in the best possible way. I was traveling uh consistently for the first two weeks of the book launch from coast to coast, different bookstores and places of that nature. And now I'm back home in New York, but I'm, I'm periodically traveling some more now through 
May or so. And every place I, I go, I meet the people who stutter and they tell me their life stories. And it's, it's just incredible night after night. That has to be an emotional experience. I mean, I've read your book, by the way, I, I took your book last week on a business trip and I started reading it in the morning, waiting for the plane. And then I, re- I, I read it on the plane. I read it in the hotel room. I read it on the way home. It is such a beautiful story. It is so well-written, but I just want to commend you on this book. I, I My story is that I used to stutter in grade school and I still have words and phrases that I struggle with. And even on this podcast, when I'm editing it, I'll remove some of the words that, but I related to so much of your, of the experience, how I described school and um, waiting for introductions and things like that. So I just want to, again, commend you, but it has to be just a emotional experience as you're meeting people in uh, all around the country who also stutter and they are uh, making some, I'm sure, John, are making peace with a stutter, but others are not. What has that experience been like? You hit the nail on the head there. People are unique individuals, and everyone is kind of at a different pace on their journey of acceptance. There are people like yourself for whom it was a childhood issue and not so much anymore, but there's a percentage of the population who will continue to be people who stutter for their entire lives. There is no cure. And the best thing you can do is learn to manage it and to conquer those times when you feel better off of avoiding everyday situations like picking up the telephone ordering off a restaurant menu applying for a job doing an in-person interview for a job asking someone out on a date all of those million little moments of daily life add up and it takes work to be able to face those knowing you're probably going to stutter part of this book is about closing that distance between you and yourself and you and the outside world. But I, I, I opened the, I opened the page and then the first right away in the first couple of pages, there's a quote here by Marcus Aurelius that you start with. And it says the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Why did you choose to have that as the lead quote in your book? There's a, a person who stutters who I've met over the past few years who periodically sends out 
uh, email blast with wisdom. And it could be a quote from Toni Morrison, or it could be a quote from Winston Churchill. That was one of the quotes that day. The word impediment obviously jumped out at me because this is classified as a speech impediment. But the back half of that quote, what stands in the way becomes the way, that ended up being true for me. This was a problem that I never talked about with friends, family, colleagues that I never wrote about. And in 2019, I kind of turned all that inside out, turned on its head. And it's been quite a journey, but it's changed every single relationship in my life for the better. Hmm. And it's the it's these small moments every single day that you mentioned just a couple minutes ago about how that, I imagine, impacts your view of self and your identity. And, and you do write about this, quote, you rise from your desk and feel your classmates' eyes trail you down the stairs, around the corner, back to the little room. You've been coming down here for a while and you're not getting any better. You feel guilty for wasting everyone's time. A quiet voice in your head tells you it's all your fault. Soon your guilt grows to grow into a new emotion, shame. It can be hard to understand the difference between the two, but a friend who stutters once clarified it for me. Guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is, I am a mistake. And tell me a little bit more about that and how long did that, how long did that occur for you? When did it shift for, for you? Did you ever go to the little room as a child who stuttered? I did. I went to the little room and, and everyone, well, everyone, I, I never talked to anybody about it, but, um, everyone knew, I'm assuming I knew, and I assumed that they knew. Most people who stutter or if you have any other disorder, disability, that concept of leaving class to go to the little room to work on your problem, that resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you're literally singled out and you're the only one getting up to walk out of class. And so just that alone can make you feel like an outsider, like you're on an island. Part of the big thing I try to get across in this book is that being a person who stutters isn't merely about the movements of our mouth at the moment of blocking or entering a repetition or prolongation. It's not, it's not about that stuff, 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 stuff. That is less than 1% of it. What this whole thing really is about are the mental gymnastics and these 
mental games that you're constantly playing, all these sacrifices, compromises that you're often unwillingly making just to hide the fact that you have this problem. Right. That takes a toll on you. That is exhausting. And it can be hard as a as a teenager, young adult, or proper adult to unlearn a lot of those patterns and habits and to push back against the negative self-talk. What a challenge. What a challenge. I mean, I know that for people who stutter and and have the have that disability. And by the way, I think I am calling it correct. It's a disability. But there's also a high degree a higher degree of mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicide, substance abuse. I'm correct on that, am I not? You are. All of those issues can go hand in hand with this or a number of other disorders and disabilities and neurological problems. Yeah. I learned a lot about how, you know, stuttering, it's neurological and also the gene mutations. You were unaware of that for a good chunk of your life and that you had no knowledge of it, that it was neurological or gene mutation. And, and so now, John, what did you think that it was all you, it was your fault? I didn't even know that it could be considered a disability and it is, and it, it, and a person who stutters can obtain protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Oh, wow. There's a chapter in my book in which I write about coming to the verge of not graduating from college because I had aggressively avoided taking an entry-level public speaking class. I kept putting it off term after term, year after year. And then I was at second semester, senior year. And it was like, this is it. And I ultimately did the class as an independent study, but I did have to give a big speech at the end of the term and I barely passed. And later, as I was working on this book, as I went back to my old college, as I interviewed some old professors, one of them asked me, did you register with the disabilities office as an undergrad? And I said, no, that thought never crossed my mind. Is that right? I mean, and that story in there about taking that you know, speech 101, that introductory speech class, I think everyone listening can relate to that at some level. In other words, well, here's, here's I, I think for me, I was horrified about taking that speech class. It was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. And, you know, that's not, that's not unique. But what hit me when I read that your book was just how exponentially different it is for you and for others who stutter. The the normal everyday things, whether it is through uh, picking up the phone and calling somebody or or 
going around the room and introducing yourself, or in this case, taking that required speech class, you really put an exclamation point on the daily challenges that happen for those who do stutter. Yeah, and that was really my goal with this book. Um, The book opens with me about to go on television the first time, go on cable news to talk about an article I just written and just how that was uh, clearly an unprecedented moment for me and something I was terrified to do. But those big things, you know, they only happen every once in a while. Right. But the everyday things, like having the courage to pick up the phone, even though you know you're going to block on the H and the person on the other side is going to be like, hello, hello, is anyone there? Just those tiny parts of life that, as you said, 99% of the population doesn't think about. But we as people who stutter have to work so much harder at those are the moments I tried to really concentrate on in this book, the day-to-day fabric of existence. Yeah, well, I think you did that. Uh, you certainly did. And you mentioned this interview that you did. That wasn't just any interview. This was an interview with uh, with President Biden. Well, at that at that point, um, he was a candidate for president. But that that interview changed everything for you do you think that's too is that too bold on my part but i think it unleashed a cascade of events for you that is absolutely accurate that article changed my life it was a profile of then candidate joe biden that i wrote for the atlantic and it was in the in 20 19 during the campaign in which he was by no means guaranteed to win the democratic nomination in fact he was not in a great spot i knew he was a person who person who stutters he had talked about it occasionally as a childhood problem he had appeared at some galas and events for charities devoted to stuttering but he didn't talk about it all that often, and he certainly didn't talk about it as a, a present-day problem as an adult. Myself and other people who stuttered, as well as researchers, academics, therapists, etc., we could all tell that as he was getting older, he wasn't managing it as deftly, as closely as he may have managed it around the age of 40 or 50. Right. To be sure, he does an excellent job and he's out there every day talking. But it's a case with anyone who gets older. If you look at the way Bill Clinton sounds now compared to the way Bill Clinton sounded in the 90s, he sounds different. That's true. You're right. It's just part of getting older. And so so Biden has managed this problem as an adult. And I just think as as he's now, he's 80. He doesn't manage it as as expertly as he once did. Yeah. Um, but it's not a get out of jail free card either, because there are plenty of times in which he mixes up a name or fact, and it doesn't have anything to do 
with being a person who stutters yeah. and it, it can't, it's not a catch all. It's not a one size fits all answer, but there, there are other times, including this happened um, this week at the state of the union in which he exhibited clear moments of classic stuttering, like, a, you know, a, a, that kind of, the visual manifestations and these these secondary behaviors that those have nothing to do with dementia. You know, those are those are clear manifestations of being a person who stutters. Right. But again, it's not a one size fits all. It's not an either or. And my article, it was an interview with him in which I I tried to explore this part of his life, and he was both willing and a little unwilling to talk about it. And it, mm -hmm. it created an interesting tension. Why do you think he was unwilling to talk about it? What, what kind of sense did you get? Well, Biden came of age in mid-century America, you know, in a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, beat it or bust, conquer problems. And he certainly came of age receiving therapy devoted purely to fluency, to smooth speech, as opposed to acceptance of momentary disfluency or acceptance of a problem, which is uh, a contemporary approach now. But mm -hmm. it's it's a generational thing. I think it's a masculinity thing. I think... I think there are a lot of reasons, but at the core of it, this is a personal, often painful disorder. And it can be hard to talk about these things. Yeah. Um, do, do you feel comfortable talking about it with your peers? Uh, no, no, actually I don't. In fact, when, just when you asked me that question, I can think, and by the way, again, I outgrew much of it, but I can still, I can still remember the teasing that I got as a kid. So I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to talk about it. In fact, many of the, who are listening to this podcast who know me will, I, they'll, they don't know, but I, I do. It's still, I can still remember the, yeah, I can still remember exactly what was said to me. That's 50 years ago now. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's part of being a human being and it, right what fascinated me was that this is a man who has reached the highest levels of fame and power and has overcome many obstacles in his life and many hardships. Like these are things that Biden has seen more willing to talk about. Right. But why didn't he talk all that much about being a person who stutters, you know? And I think it just gets to what you said. It's uh, it's inside you. These memories are inside you, and it can be hard to dredge them up. Right. And knowing how I outgrew most of it, but then listening and reading your story, but that's why I have such admiration for you, John, on on how you have made peace with the stutter. And I'm going to be asking a follow-up question on that if I can. I, I'm always intrigued by the title of the books and why they pick the title, Life on Delay. But to me, the more intriguing is always the subtitle. 
So oftentimes that's, that's where the real meat is. So you chose the words, me, making peace with a stutter. Why did you choose that, that phrase? I get life on delay, um, but why making peace with a stutter? Great question. Subtitles are hard. They're hard. My North Star with this book was making peace. It was, and making peace is different than curing something or conquering something or fixing or overcoming. Making peace to me is an acknowledgement that a problem or an issue may subsist and it may be around for the rest of your life, but you can learn to live with it. You can keep going forward in life with this thing riding shotgun mm-hmm. and that's hard to do it takes a lot of work but there is a way to do that and and i think beyond the one percent of people in the world who, who stutter i hope that this book resonates with anyone who's lugging around a problem that they're trying to make peace with yeah, that, that's a really great perspective. And we all are. I've, one thing that I've learned over the years, I didn't appreciate much when I was younger, but how everyone is going through something. Everyone is lugging something around, like you just said so beautifully. What, one thing I, on your Instagram, um, I, I was looking at it here. I want to read to you and read to the audience this post about this book launch. Really cool. My book is out today. Thank you so much to my family and friends for your amazing love and support. It's the most personal thing I've ever written. This is a book about how the struggle to communicate affects every aspect of your life, but it's also about writing and music and road trips and Simpsons jokes. It's about relationships from the cosmic story of how I met my wife. It's about never underestimating the human capacity to change. I'm so grateful to the fellow stutterers who taught me invaluable lessons along the way. I'm so grateful for everything. Again, you're a writer. It's so well-written, but the, the phrase about the fellow stutterers who taught me invaluable lessons along the way. What's, what is just one of those lessons that you've learned either just lately from being on the road or maybe back in time? What, what have you learned? There's a character in my book named Jerome Ellis. Jerome is a multidisciplinary artist musician, composer, poet, writer. Jerome has put five J's in front of his name as a way to reclaim his own stutter. And as a way to put it front and center. And a lot of the music and the art Jerome makes is about the topic of stuttering and how it has shaped his life. It's mind-blowing art. I discovered him through an episode of This American Life in which he was featured because he got up at a reading 
And he broke the time limit. It had like a two to three minute time limit and it took him almost 11 minutes. Wow. And the thing he read, it was about time and about time limits and about the way that something as democratizing as that can turn out to be penalizing certain people because it naturally just assumes that everyone has equal access to time, which isn't the case. So just the, the layers and layers with which Jerome thinks about this disorder have taught me a lot. And, and his inclination to make art out of it, you know, he's not running from it. He's not wallowing. He's saying, this is part of my life and I'm going to turn into something creative. That moved me on a, on a deep level. It's a beautiful story in the book. I'm a child of the 80s, John. And so my musical tastes, I'll give you the top five, pretty basic. <laughs> Def Leppard, 38 Special, you know, that whole classic rock. Reading yeah. your book, man, do you have some musical tastes that I need to get into? Was music has been, is a really big part of your life. For example, you talked about Pavement's Gold Sounds. I never heard of it before. You say it's one of your favorite songs of all time with one of my favorite lyrics of all time. You can never quarantine the past. So first question, why is that lyric your favorite of all time? But where did this love for music come from? Was it, be, was it due to the fact of you were you know, growing up that you know, listening and to music was, was helpful for you? Well, it's one of my favorite lyrics because it's, it's so simple and so true. And a part of what I was exploring in the book was the way in which we are connected to our past selves. Like you are no longer a person who stutters, but you're deeply connected to that childhood version of yourself who did. And you, and you, and you can't quarantine what people said to you. It's there. (laughs) Right. True. Um, So I, I love that. I love the truth of that. Um, but yes, music has always been my balm, my salvation, my oasis. Music has always been a form of liberation, just going to a concert, losing yourself in a sea of 20,000 people who are all singing the same song. Don't you love that? (laughs) Um, Singing relies on a different neural pathway than the one that we use in conversation. And while I'm not a good singer at all, I love singing. I love karaoke. I love singing along with songs on the radio. And there are countless examples of musicians who were or are the people who stutter. 
Yeah. Elvis Presley, Carly Simon, Bill Withers, Kendrick Lamar, Ed Sheeran, Noel yeah. Gallagher of Oasis. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. There is a real beautiful connection between the two. Yeah. No, I and it came through your book. And that, that was another thing I didn't realize. Elvis, I mean, you'd mentioned some of the greatest voices of all time. Elvis Presley, Bill Withers, uh, Carly Simon. Likewise with recitation. And there are oh. plenty of actors who either were or are people who just stutter. Samuel L. Jackson, Julia Roberts, mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe. It goes on and on and on. And recitation also relies on a different uh, neural pathway than the one we yeah. use in conversation. One of the actors I interviewed in the book is Emily Blunt, who told me how getting into drama liberated her. Yeah, one of the world's best actors. One of the things I appreciated most about the book is how you you made time to interview uh, professors and teachers, um, certainly family. And but I, I I thought that was just such such a wonderful add to the story about getting a teacher's perspective of how he or she felt during a specific during a specific time, which is a wonderful add. And I was that your plan from the very beginning, John, that you wanted to have that perspective. And did that turn out uh, like you thought it would? One of the biggest influences on me and on this book is David Carr's memoir, The Night of the Gun. David Carr was a late New York Times media columnist, and his book is about his history with crack addiction and substance abuse. And because his memories were foggy that whole time of his life, he went back and he interviewed people from his past. Mm. And he and he asked, what was I like then? What was that like? And I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so I knew I wanted to try that. So I reached out to my kindergarten teacher and second grade teacher and sixth grade girlfriend and all sorts of people <laughs> from all different chapters of my life. I didn't have any idea if they would remember me. I didn't have any idea if they would, if they had any thoughts or recollections about the way I talked. I didn't have any idea if they would talk to me, mm. but they all enthusiastically replied and said, oh, absolutely, I'd love to. You know, and I'm reaching out out of the blue to people in cases where I hadn't talked to them in 25, 30 years. And those conversations and the vividness of their memories, this crystalline detail blew me away. Wow. Well, I, I will say that's such a nice ad, and I think it takes courage on your part. I, for everyone listening to, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. 
I mean, to be able to go back on that, I just think it's a very, very uh, wonderful add to the book, but also I think it takes a lot of courage on your part. And it really resonated in, in the entire book. Uh, John, what, what would you hope that people learn or do differently as a result of reading this, this book? Great question. I think anybody with any sort of disability just wants to be treated normally. We, we don't want to be babied. We don't want a little pat on the head. And obviously, we don't want to be made fun of either. Just treat us in conversation like you would literally any other person. And I understand it may require a little more patience because it obviously can take longer for a person who stutters to get a sentence out. But just try to practice that patience and just look us in the eye and try to treat us like you would any other person you encounter that day. I think that is the very best thing you can do. Well done. Well done. Now, at the end of each podcast, I always ask my guests, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? I've been waiting for this. Okay, John. So what is your I dare you challenge for this audience? What do you got? Hmm. Maybe I'll lean into what you said. Uh, I don't I don't think you said this exactly, but what you, you were implying was that the minorly scared you. So maybe I would challenge you and your audience to reach out to someone who you haven't talked with in 25 years and just extend that olive branch and say, Hey, uh, you know, I was thinking about you. I'd like, like to know how your life is. I'd like to catch up. And I think you'll be pretty amazed at the results. That's a great challenge and one we can all do. I'm thinking of easily 10 or 15 people right now. John, I, I want to thank you for being on, on the podcast. You know, I've been, uh, this book is fantastic, Life on Delay. And I've also know you've had to prioritize your time and where you put your efforts on this book tour. And the fact that you're here with us for such a good length of time, answering so many questions with such authenticity and with such candor has just been just been a real, real, uh, real treat for me personally, but also for all of us. Your story is inspiring. So thanks for being on this podcast, John. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Darren. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm really grateful that you've had me on as a guest. Thank you. Okay, that was John Hendrickson. I hope you enjoyed getting to know him and his story. The name of his book, Life on Delay, Making Peace with the Stutter. Make sure you follow him on Instagram at John G. Hendy. And now that you've listened, who will you share this episode with? People in your life who are important to you. I thought his I Dare You Challenge was a good one, wasn't it? And one, and one thing that's hanging with me from the interview is when John talked about how we all are carrying something. And I think he's right. There are times when we need to overcome things. But there are also are times when we need to make peace with something. And I won't speak for anyone else, but I can think of a few things where I need to make peace with a few things. Now, make sure you're following us on Instagram at I Dare You Pod. There you'll find exclusive content you're not going to find anywhere else, including interview snippets from this interview. 
And thank you for sharing this with others. You know, when I talk a lot about the, the downloads and the uh, listens that are just growing exponentially, it's because of you. That's where growth like this happens. So whoever you're thinking of right now, go ahead and share. And just know that I appreciate you taking that one step. And now get ready for next week's episode. It's another good one on the I Dare You podcast. I appreciate you being here, and I'll see you next week.